I'm not under the impression that I have to enjoy my job. Um, I'm never, uh, my 40 hour a week job is, is not to, is not because I'm passionate about it. It's the only reason the way that I'm passionate about my job is in the sense that it provides for my family and, you know, in, in the case, and it allows me to do what I'm actually passionate about for free if necessary. Um, so like if I was wanting to get into the corporate world and like that was a passion of mine, I would be really bummed. Um, you know, but, I am of the understanding that I only need to like my job so far as it allows me to provide for my wife and our future, you know, child. And as long as I can take care of them and I can continue to do what I am passionate about, then I, 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 I'm, I'll swallow just about anything. Um, yeah, dude. And I, I, I mean, maybe we could start here cause I think this is an interesting dialogue. Um, I, I feel really similarly, and I don't know. I disagree with the whole kind of like Mickey Mouse idea that your job completes you and that it's everybody works in their passion. Like try to tell that to the garbage guy. Like yeah. maybe he's passionate about it. I'm guessing he's not. Um, but I, I feel very similarly of like, you know, there are some people that are magnificent luck, magnificently lucky in my opinion that, since they were like 12 years old, they're like, oh, I want to be a teacher. And yeah. that's been their passion the whole way. That's what they went to school for. And you know what? When they graduated, they got a teaching job and they love it. I mean, that's kind of how Libya is. She loves her job. Yeah. I've, I've never felt that way. I don't think. No. Um, and what's, yeah, I, I just never like, cause my, I see guys like my dad, you know, who's been in the business world for years and is the CFO of a, of a large national company and all those kinds of things. And like, he's very passionate about that and has been passionate, but like the idea that I would be semi-passionate about finance, um, <laughs> is just not, that doesn't, or business in general, like, I mean, I find some of it interesting, like, but, um, I, I'm not under the persuasion that I have to care about, like the ins and outs of how my particular job works. But the thing is, is and what's funny is I went to my, when I took this job back in March, I went to my interview and they said, so what, what excites you about potentially working here? And I said, um, it allow, I said, I'm excited about the opportunity to continue to provide for my wife. And they said, but what about the business? I said, and I, and I said, listen, I said, I, I'm, I'm going to just be straight up with you. I said, I'll probably never care a day in my life about, <laughs> I said, I, I was, I was, I was genuinely serious. I said, I'll probably never care a day in my life about the ins and outs of the tire business or, or the automotive industry and all those things. But I said, that doesn't hinder me or keep me from working hard. I said, I'm going to be the hardest worker you have because I know that the, my, that my passion is driven by providing for my wife and for my future kids. And I was like, so I was like, I don't have any kind of dreams about this business. I said, I'm going to advance and I'm going to work as hard as, as, as my hard work will take me. And maybe I'll find myself somewhere higher on in the business and I just happen to get there. Um, but I was like, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm not passionate about, you know, the business world and, and, and all those kinds of things. But I, you know, I was like, you're not going to have somebody that's going to work as hard a, as me 
I was like, I, I, I said, I, put me up against this, somebody who you think is most passionate about this business as a whole, and I will outwork them. And um, they were like, okay, we've never had that answer before. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I said, I said, I, I know it's not a great answer, um, but I think, you know, we we try so hard to find so much identity in um, the things that we do, or the people we're with, or the the jobs we have. Um, and that can be good to some extent, like your wife, Libby is a teacher, like she, that is part of her identity. But for me, my job is just not part of that. My, my identity is wrapped up in, um, you know, uh, Jesus and in my family and in my friends and the people I, I love. And so I, I work hard to make sure I can keep up a good relationship with them. And for everybody, it's different. You know, when you asked, when they asked you that, you should have said, actually, I want to be a tire mogul. I want to take yeah. this place over. I care well, about then, tires a whole lot. Well, then what's funny is I, I like when I got brought back from my temporarily temporary, you know, furlough, I got, I met up with my supervisor uh, who, who wanted to train me on some things. So we met up at a Panera bread and she was teaching me something. And then she eventually says, okay, I think that's enough for you to at least, you know, um, do this job until you go somewhere bigger. And I said, Oh, I said, no, I'm coming for your job. And she was like, what? And I said, I said, well, I would hope that eventually I would work up to becoming a supervisor, which would just naturally mean I would take your job. And she kind of got this smile on her face and she was like, well, if you want my job, then I'll teach you how to take it. I said, okay, good. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm blessed to have people that, that understand where I'm coming from. Um, but I, I am glad that you found something in this, time because it is it is difficult uh there's lots of people i know that are still on unemployment um but how's 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 libby doing dude she's good her school is um is weirdly meeting in person um yeah shelby county is virtual however her school is part of germantown municipal school district so it's in a uh, it's in a suburb, like a, a pretty affluent suburb, and so all the parents were like, "Right, we want our kids in schools," and you know, are kind of snobby and probably anti-maskers. And stuff. they all sound they all sound like that, like Waluigi. Every one of them. They're all just Waluigi. <laughs> Waluigi was so filthy in Mario Tennis. He's just Mario long. Tennis. Oh, he's he's so long. Yeah, he's lanky, bro. He. His his wingspan is nuts. It's like a great American condor out there. <laughs> like Giannis on a onto the Kumpo. Yeah. At the net. The, Good yeah, luck. Dude. So Good luck. have you watched bubble basketball at all? You don't care about the NBA, right? Um I, no, but like as an aside, like I would like to see LeBron win. Okay. Um which now they're I think tonight's the second night where players are boycotting, but they're supposed to play out the the playoffs. But, uh, dude, bubble's been a ton of fun. I I am typically a like watch a couple regular season games, and then watch the playoffs guy. But I've I've watched a whole lot of everything going on right now. Yeah, I, I haven't watched too much. I saw a couple of the Grizzlies games. Other than that, though, I haven't I haven't watched a ton of it. Yeah. John Morant plays a brand of basketball I've like never seen. So he's, weird. He's so talented, man. 
Yeah, he's like he's so small, like his waist is wider than his shoulders are, and he's skinny, but he is faster and can jump higher than anybody else. So it doesn't his, wa- his waist is wider than his shoulders are. Dude, look at a picture. I mean, just Broke. Google John Morant shirtless right now. He's got that pear body shape. Sounds he, like he does, but he weighs like one twenty. Homeboy got a dump truck. Apparently, while you're <laughs> describing it. Oh, yeah. So, so, anyways, I don't want to listeners if we're even including this in the podcast slash Jordan. I'm definitely going to include talking about John Morant's lower half. Yeah, that, no, that's good with me. But as far as as far as job stuff goes, I, I just want to put a period on it and say that Jordan and I both that that conversation can be viewed as depressing, but I actually view it as kind of exciting that the rest of life, family, Jesus, good food, good music, good hangs, good movies is so great that I can grind my teeth for 40 hours a week if it means I get to enjoy the rest of it, you know? And I have identity enough elsewhere that, you know, I I don't have to be a CEO. Yeah, and you and I have both been on unemployment. Like we know, um, we know what that looks like for a period of time, um, and it sucks. But there are good things on the other end. So Mason, you're still there, right? I'm still here, dude. Okay, you went quiet. I'm just making sure you're still here. Um, why don't you tell me about what we're talking about tonight? Because it was it was it was kind of your idea. I gave you a general universe to, to pick a topic in and you honed in on a specific, you know, yeah. on a specific topic. So why don't you kind of run down what we're doing? You gave me a sandbox to play in and I'm, yep. I'm built the castle. So which, which, what shape was your sandbox as a kid? Uh, did, you, did you have a sandbox in the backyard? I Every did. Kid, I feel like in the nineties had a sandbox in the backyard and it was shaped as one of two animals. Um, I don't think mine was an animal. I, I think it was genuinely a box. Just a square. So I I had a a sandbox that was a red crab. It was a big red crab with sand in it, and then there was also a big turtle one. Like oh, actually, you, I might have had the turtle. That sounds right. really. If you, didn't have, if you had the turtle, if you didn't have the turtle sandbox, you had the red crab sandbox. I don't know why Walmart only sold two different species of sandboxes for twenty years, but every kid in the nineties had one of those two animals. Dude, the crab is such a poor shape too. For a for a sandbox, when you think about it, I mean, like with the pinchers and everything, that's not the most. That's just the two, you know. That's the two circular animals, I guess, that play school could come up with. Yeah, I definitely had a turtle uh, pool in the backyard. You know, like the little plastic things. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Okay. I gave you. Uh, I gave you a university or a uni- <laughs> universe of of a genre and you honed in on one topic which which was what why don't you kind of lay out what we plan on doing yeah so here's what happened we both have tickets to tenant are you getting to see it early i think libby and i are going august 31st so next month yeah so i saw that but um and i got that email however the showings were at like 5 p.m oh um, dang yeah and, and like it was weird I, I don't know if they're just trying to space it out 
effectively, but it was like 5 p.m. or 9 p.m. And it's, you know, the 31st and a is a Monday. Hour, yeah. The 31st is a Monday evening. So I, and I'm not going to, I get off of work at like 4.30. So I'm not going to speed over the movie theater to catch a five o'clock movie. And Ashley, my wife is, is certainly not going to head straight from work and skip dinner as a pregnant woman um, <laughs> to see a Christopher Nolan film. So we're just going on Friday on the 4th to, to okay. see it when it's on its actual release date. Nice. So Libby and I are going to see it uh, next Monday at seven. And anyways, leading up to tenant, Jordan was like, well, how about we do something about Christopher Nolan? Like a, a little rundown of what he's released to this point, And then we can do something about tenant next podcast. And I was like, oh, okay, sounds great. Um, and rather than like a, a ranking or a, I don't know, like a top five list, because there, there are only really eight movies we're going to talk about today. I thought it might add some nuance if we did um, like a snake draft type thing, which I know a, a ton of other podcasts do, but snake drafts have been around for a while. So, so I'll explain if, make it up. Yeah, if you don't know what a snake draft is, if, if you know anything about sports, you'll know that there's you know, the NFL draft, the NBA draft, all these different drafts. And it's, it's typically, you get a pick assigned to you. Typically it's based in reverse order of the level to which you reach. So typically the best teams get the last picks, the worst teams get the first picks. A snake draft is pretty common in like fantasy leagues. So like fantasy football, fantasy baseball, basketball, those kinds of things. So how the snake draft will work is whoever goes first, either Mason or I will get the first pick. Then whoever picks second, We'll also get the third pick, and it snakes back and forth. So if you get the first pick, you have picks one, four, five, uh, and eight, right? Yep. One, four, five, six, seven, I think. Yeah, eight. Um, and if you get the second pick, you have two, three, six, and seven. Yep. So what we're going to do is between the eight movies that we've kind of pulled out of Christopher Nolan's filmography, we're going to just do a snake draft back and forth say a couple of things, two or three things that we like about each film and why we drafted it where we did. Um, and then at the end, we're going to kind of put those next to each other and we're going to have, maybe we'll do like a little Instagram poll to see who has the best roster of Christopher Nolan films. Just a simple idea uh, and kind of get us thinking about Christopher Nolan, get us in that headspace for when we see Tenet next week. And I would imagine we're going to spend the next episode talking about Tenet. So, yeah, and I actually so did go back and I watched some scenes from Nolan movies just to kind of get me back into the world of Inception and the world of Interstellar and the Prestige and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. so with that being said, the eight films that are up for draft are Dunkirk, Interstellar, Inception, the Dark Knight trilogy, which is comprised of Dark Knight Rises, The Dark Knight, and Batman Begins. And then we also have The Prestige and Memento. So those are the eight films. <laughs> Dunkirk, Interstellar, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight, Batman Begins, The Prestige, and Memento. Uh, we left out uh, his earliest movie, which is called Insomnia, just because we like round even numbers. Um, and that was probably a film that a lot of people have heard of. It is a good film, so go watch it. But these are the eight that most people, we assume if you've seen any Christopher Nolan movies, you've seen one or several of these. I would say Christopher Nolan, specifically these movies we're talking about, are probably the most seen really good films of like yeah. popular audiences in general. Yeah, so why don't we 
take a little break. We'll come back. We'll, I've got a way for us to, to determine who is picking first and second and so on. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back to our time, and we'll get into the draft. All right, sweet. All right, be right back. All right, we're back. Mason, are you ready to draft? Are you, have you thought about how we're going to pick who is going to go first? Have you thought of any ideas? See, I actually hadn't thought of any, so I felt pretty secure when you said last segment that, that you thought of something. I've got it taken care of, and it's, it's going to be as simple as a coin toss. Now, I understand that there's problems. We are recording this remotely, so he could, I could have him call a coin toss. I could flip a coin, and he would just have to trust that I'm telling the truth. However, I've brought along my trusty assistant, which is my Google assistant. Uh, Google, not a sponsor, but maybe one day. <laughs> so to determine – so what's going to happen is I'm going to have you choose heads or tails, um, and then I'll have Google flip a coin for us, and then – Whoever wins the coin flip will get to pick whether they want to pick first or second. Fair oh, I, I like that. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and let you call, take as long as you need to choose uh, between the 50-50 shot. It's going to be heads. Always is. All right. Here we go. Here's the moment of truth. Make sure this is recorded on the podcast. Hey, Google. Flip a coin. You got heads. Let's go! All right, so Mason has won the toss, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say I tested it like four times before we started this segment, and it was heads every time. So I think my Google's broken. Um, (laughs) But so you have picked uh, correctly, so you get to choose now whether you want to pick first or second and third and so on. I want second and third. That's what I thought. So Mason will have the second, third, sixth, and seventh pick. I will have the fourth, first, the fourth, the fifth, and the eighth. Um, so, again, the movies we're choosing from. And, again, Mason, my plan is to just pick a movie, uh, say a few reasons why I like that movie, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. For sure. Um, I was kind of hoping all day when I determined how we were going to do this that uh, I would win so I could pick – because I wanted to pick second and third as well. Um, but here we are. Um, so, with my first pick – I'll pick the movie that was my number three favorite film of all time. Um, and that would be Inception. Um, so I'm going to take Inception first off the board. Uh, I am writing all of this down, so don't worry. Um, Inception, as a matter of fact, just saw it again the other night when our theater in town opened. Went and saw it in IMAX. Um, they filmed, Christopher Nolan filmed like a little 10-minute um, segment where he was just talking about the film and how much he loved it. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but when they actually originally filmed it, IMAX theaters weren't really a big thing. Um, so Inception, like Tenet, has been advertised as kind of Christopher Nolan said in this little blurb that he was doing before the movie started that, you know, um, he's he's grateful that on the 10th anniversary of Inception that it's able to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Um, and I'll tell you, it was a great experience. I still remember going to see that movie six times in theaters. I mentioned it in our top 10 in episode two, you can go back and find that. It was my third favorite movie of all time. Um, there's a lot of things about this movie that are great. One of them is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, because obviously. Um, but also, it's it's one of the first times I remember going to a movie and being really challenged, like mentally and emotionally. Um, because I was just watching a bunch of like slapstick comedies 
and Disney films and things like that before then. Uh, so I would have been like 17. You know, I was just go- I was going to see, you know, Step Brothers and Jackass 3D and movies that um, are, are fine. But just, you know, this was the first movie I really sat down and was like, wow, I've like experienced something. Yeah. And, and that's that was a completely new phenomenon to me. Um, and so I unabashedly love this film performances from Leonardo DiCaprio are top, top notch as he always is, as Christopher Nolan does, you have familiar faces in it with, um, Michael Caine, you have, um, Killian Murphy. Um, I'm trying to think if he has any other crossovers that are in some of his other films, because he uses some of the same people in a lot of them. I don't think. So. Uh, oh, that that was one of my first Tom Hardy experiences. Tom Hardy, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, Tom Hardy. That was one of the. I think that may have been the first movie I saw Tom Hardy in uh, as Eames. Uh, but it also he's stars, awesome. And then he's great, man. He's great. It's but it stars the the give you the rundown of the cast. Um, because the thing is, it's like <clears throat> when I remember first seeing like the poster for this movie, I didn't recognize a lot of their names. Um, at the again at the time, but these are you know big big time actors. You got. Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, Tom Hardy, Ellen Page, um, Michael Caine, uh, again, Killian Murphy. Um, you've got some big, big name actors in this film. The concept behind the film is is really complex, but also really interesting and, and beautiful. Um, the directing is amazing. The one thing I've always loved about and this will seem like a complete out of left field comment, but one thing I've always loved about like Star Wars films is that they do a lot of practical effects. Like they, they don't do a whole lot of CGI unless, you know, it's the prequels um, from the nineties. But they do a lot of practical effects, meaning they make little models of big ships and then they blow those tiny models up. But on the screen, it looks like they blew up a huge star destroyer. Um, Christopher Nolan is another director like that. And he says, and he said in the past that he took a lot of cues from George Lucas. Uh, the Just a quick side note, and then we'll let Mason pick his, his two films. Uh, the scene, if you've seen the movie where you might remember Joseph Gordon-Levitt is trying, there's basically a, 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 the hallway that he's in in this hotel is revolving. And he's like fighting this, he's fist fighting this guy on the wall and the ceiling and the floor and the ceiling again and then the wall. Um, you know, it might've been like, wow, they hooked him up to cables and swung him around this, you know, this still room. But what he did was he built a corridor on a huge, basically centrifuge and, you know, it rolled it around. So the hallway was actually moving. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt and whoever this stunt fighter was, uh, were actually rolling around this hallway. And so just his, his Nolan's desire to, make something look huge and out of this world, but still wanting to make it look real and practical and understandable and achievable is, is kind of unparalleled by a lot of directors because especially in the mid two thousands, you're seeing a ton of CGI. Um, so for, for Christopher Nolan to build an entire hallway on a big uh, tumbler and throw Joseph Gordon-Levitt into the middle of it in 2010 uh, and the effect that it causes is amazing. I, I could go on, on about this film love the film it's my number one pick and i'm happy to have it on my list so brief comment i'll make and this will come up again and again from me because christopher nolan as great as his movies have been they've made a ton of money very well directed very well acted he's 
nobody is disputing that he's a good director or not. He's he's terrific. Um, my thing is, his movies can be per- perceived by like critical audiences as fake smart, mm. and sometimes I think Inception can fall into that category with a couple of couple of the plot things. Specifically, the kick always annoys me when I watch that movie because at one point they start to tip back somebody in a chair that's asleep and they wake up, but then they go through a like violent car flipping car crash and nobody wakes up. I I don't get the the physics behind that. Um, And then the stuff with he gets blamed for killing his wife and he didn't actually kill his wife. Were forensics around? Like how how does that not <laughs> get figured out? Um, but anyways, I I love Inception. Inception. I could, is my, I could what? explain. I could explain all those things away, but for the sake of time, I I won't. We'll we'll text about it. Okay. <laughs> Inception is my second favorite Christopher Nolan film, and I figured you'd go with that one first overall. So this is playing directly into my grubby fingers. Well, I know what you're going to, I know the two you're going to pick. So I've already got my four and five mapped out. So I'm good to go. Okay, sweet. So two, I'm going dark Knight. Yep. Knew it. Uh, Dark Knight. I already wrote it down. Yep. It's my favorite Nolan film. If you want to hear a longer discussion of, uh, of the greatest superhero movie of all time, the greatest Mm. villain portrayal of all time. Mm. And, uh, one of the best action movies in recent memory, then you can go back to our top 10 podcast. I don't remember where I had it. I actually think it might be three. It was in the bottom. I think it's an episode one. Oh, okay. So it's, it's bottom five then. Yeah. Yeah. So dark Knight is incredible. Um, lots of good and evil themes, very expansive, tons of great world building in that movie as well. Heath Ledger is Joker, which is something that Jordan is just weird about in terms of not being that big on it, but everybody else is. But no, no, no. I don't want, I'm not going to allow you to vilify me on my own podcast. <laughs> Heath Ledger's performance is, is one of the greatest performances in, in cinema history. It's, it's very, 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 very good. It's the best performance of the Joker that exists. I just don't think he wins the Oscar if he's alive, that's my, that's my only thing. I think that he won the Oscar because it was posthumous and they, the Academy felt like it would be a good bit, of, good bit of, um, you know, publicity. Yeah. Uh, but because the category he was in that year was stacked with a lot of really good talent, but anyway, continue. Yeah, no, I, I really don't have too much more to say. I, I remember, I probably mentioned this in the previous podcast. I went to go see this, went to go see this at a um, one of the midnight movies they used to do. Yeah. I went to go see it with my dad. And I mean, of course, it's like a two and a half hour movie. I remember it ended at 2.30 and my dad and I were just like, what in the world? We didn't know movies could do that. And it was, I just, I love that movie. Also, I don't know if I remember to say this in the previous um, episode about this movie. When this movie came out on DVD, so I some people are like kind of frenetic about missing school. They get really panicky and nervous about it. I loved missing school. I faked sick. I, you know, did did all the things to miss school when I could. Uh, when this movie came out on DVD, one of my friends told me it came out on DVD in like second period, 
that day. And then I called in sick in third period, had my mom pick me up. And then we stopped by Kroger on the way home because she needed to pick something up, picked up a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and the movie in the grocery store and uh, proceeded to go home and watch it while while eating probably tonight, though. Um, So love Dark Knight. I didn't know your mom was such a pushover. She's not. Um, I, I think I just got good at lying ill. Yeah, <laughs> lying. You just always had this pallid color to you. <laughs> yeah, I think I could. You just always look sweaty and pale. Just I can make my eyes glassy if I want to. Um, I've seen it. I've seen that look. Yeah. Anyways, that's my number two pick. With the number uh, two your- pick. Dark Knight, which means that you also have the number three pick, and then it's back to me. So I have an idea what you're going to pick, but I'm worried that I'm wrong. So this this is a little difficult for me uh, in that I, I feel there's a tear break after Dark Knight and Inception. Would you agree? Um, I would disagree, but... Okay. Uh, Interstellar is my three pick. Damn you. <laughs> All right, Interstellar. This uh, this is the movie where I fell in love with Matthew McConaughey. Specifically the scene where he's watching all the recorded videos from Murph and watching their relationship deteriorate uh, in something that, I mean, would have occurred over a number of years that he missed of her life while he was in space. And, you know, you're watching her and and the screen is all her old videos and then it pans back to him and he's sobbing, but there's no sound to him sobbing. You know what I'm talking about, right? I know exactly what you're talking about, yes. That scene is so moving and it it catches me by surprise every single time I watch the movie. Uh, I think this movie, along with Inception, has the best sound design of any movie that that Christopher Nolan has done. He, He kind of invented... Maybe not invented, but he he perfected the whole like really loud things and then silence in this movie. Now pretty much every space movie does it, but he um, popularized it here. And uh, yeah, I, the ending, of course, is what everybody talks about, which is probably one of my less favorite parts of this movie because it is, as I was discussing earlier, so fake smart. Um, ultimately... We have a guy that goes into a black hole, pushes some books off a bookshelf, and then communicates via hand watch, via Morse code, as to how to save the planet. Um, and, and that's, <laughs> I know I'm talking about how much I love my pick, but that's that's my problem with the movie. If you don't want it, I'll trade you. I'll trade you that for the for the fourth pick. No, no, no. I'm, I'm good with it. And that's why I said I struggled with it, because... There are specifically two other Nolan movies that I I really think are spectacular. Uh, But I was just ultimately like the highs in Interstellar are are way higher than any of the highs in these other two movies. It's just it has the lows in it as well that keep me. I mean, if Interstellar made more sense at the end, it might be one like it's that good um, up until the last, you know. 30 to 40 minutes, but I'll never forget being in the theater and you know, the first watch, of course, I'm not really watching it with a critical eye. I just want to love it. And 
um you know watching that ending and jaw dropping all that good stuff i'm writing down your picks and i'm crossing off the ones that you've taken um yeah man i i i'm again i don't want to wax poetic where i I don't have to Uh, obviously would have loved to have either of those films on my roster as well um you've taken one of them interstellar inception interstellar is a close second favorite behind inception for me um i'm i've always been a big space guy i just i I like space movies i like all of that um matthew mcconaughey is 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 a good actor a really good actor and he's he's great in this as well also just love michael kane anytime i can get michael kane i'll take me some michael kane uh also i believe i think john lithgow is in this film as well i think he is too i like john lithgow a lot um he i think believe i believe he plays McConaughey's father-in-law, I believe. Um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of the movie. Uh, it is kind of highbrow at points uh, to the point of being kind of unapproachable, um, but is is by and large a great movie, um, uh, an epic film with, I mean, just some of the scenes and some of the the the, the images that you get whether it's the quote-unquote mountains or the waves rushing toward them, um, you know, the, the scene where he's trying to dock the shuttle on the station and he's got to spin it is the most, one of the most harrowing scenes and still, still gives me the sweats just watching it. Um, it's a great, great movie. If you haven't seen it or have been scared away from it, uh, I really advise you to go watch it because it's ultimately a story about a daughter, uh, a father and his daughter as well. I think Cobb is Cobb and in Inception is Nolan's best lead. I think McConaughey is really close for second. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. That's that's. Yeah, that's probably. I'm not big on the Bale performance in Batman, honestly. I mean, he was good, but good. I mean, the best movie of the three is The Dark Knight, and that movie's carried by Heath Ledger. But I mean, Bale is good. Bale's probably the best Batman there has been. I agree. Other than uh, a close second is probably Michael Keaton. Um, but we'll see how Robert Pattinson does. Um, I hope he, he does well. But so on to my second pick, which is the fourth pick out of eight. Um, I'm going to take the prestige. Oh, I let me let me break this down. I there's a lot of things in life that happen to you. And then once it's over, you maybe I'm in a minority of people that feels this way. Uh, When something's over, you are literally feeling grievous because you can't ever experience it for the first time again and i understand that there's there's obviously everybody feels that way you know to some degree at points in their life like i i wish like not that marriage isn't great this is going to sound terrible where i'm going but i would like love i would love to go back to the day like i held ashley's hand for the first time because that was like there was a big work up to that moment like it was kind of a risk oh totally you know what i mean like there's moments that I'm like, man, I really wish I could go back and do that thing again. Or I wish, I always wish that I could be a kid again and experience the Harry Potter books for the first time. Like that's something, that's a feeling I miss very much. 
when I finished the prestige the first time, I immediately finished the and it, the, the credits rolled, and I was immediately frustrated because I I couldn't experience it with with fresh eyes ever again. Like I'd seen the movie, it was over, and then every time I watched it after that would just be I knew because of my brain would be just trying to analyze smaller things, uh, yada yada yada. Um, the Prestige is just one of those films. Again, it's not highly regarded. On a lot of people might not even know what this movie is. Um, it's it's about a an illusionist or a magician, if you want to call it, an industrial revolution. Uh, United Kingdom and, and Britain. Um, they're actually two magicians that are kind of going up against each other. One is played by Christian Bale, because again, Nolan likes to use some of the same folks. Uh, and the other, I guess you could say the, the lead is Hugh Jackman, but it also has Scarlett Johansson um, and, of course, Michael Caine. Um, but it's about kind of this battle between these two magicians, um, and there's some sci-fi involved. I don't want to spoil it again too much because truly, and you may listen to this episode and say, well, I've never seen that movie. I'm going to go watch it, and it may mean nothing to you, um, but... I just remember the way I felt after finishing this movie and just kind of being blown away by the premise. Um, you know, I, I love it when a whole plot is laid out. You, you see a movie going in one direction. Um, and then at the end, they kind of unfurl all these things that you missed or they unfurl this kind of, you see like a, it's like the this camera zooms out and you see more of the picture that you missed that, that was a hidden in plain sight, just like, you know, a good illusionist would do. Um, you know, so this whole movie is a really good illusion. Um, and it talks about the prestige is the, the, the idea of the prestige, quote unquote, is the prestige is the end of a magic trick when you kind of show this final big reveal. And that's what's supposed to get the applause. Um, and so this whole movie is a buildup to this big prestige at the end. That's a that's a that's kind of a, you know, where the magician comes out raises his hands and takes a bow. That's what this whole movie is working up toward. Um, and it is just a beautiful bit of, of period piece. You know, the costuming is great. All those kind of things. Cinematography is great. The tone is right. Um, and the acting is great. Uh, I also am a huge fan of Hugh Jackman. Uh, I think he's great in just about anything he, he's been in. Um, he's another guy that just can't seem to miss, but for whatever reason, we don't talk about him as one of Hollywood's greatest, um, which is, is odd. But I just really love this movie. And so I, I'm picking it with my second pick. I was going to take it with my fifth pick, you know, but uh, you took Interstellar for me. So now it's my second pick. All right. So the prestige, one thing I want to point out, and, and you've touched on a little bit, having Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman in the same movie is so unique to me because both of them are always leading men. Yeah. They're in, in pretty much every movie they're in, they're the best actor. And so it gives this unique effect because, as you mentioned in the plot, these kind of dueling magicians that are trying to outdo one another, that's happening as you're watching the movie with two of the best actors in Hollywood as well, um, is they're, they're trying to outact one another, steal the screen from one another. And so um, both terrific. The Prestige, uh, earlier I mentioned when I was talking about Interstellar, I was really between Interstellar and two other movies. I, I think they're all, if I were to tear break, I'd go uh, Dark Knight and Inception are, are kind of cream of the crop here. And then I would say three movies uh, kind of make up 
or I guess four movies, including yeah, four. Uh, no, three movies. Three movies make up kind of the the middle there, and one of them is is Interstellar. One is The Prestige, and I really hope you don't pick my third one here. I don't think I'm, this, I don't think I'm going next here. I think I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna let you have the one that you want. I believe. Okay. Well, we're halfway through. We've done four movies. You want to take a break and do the other four? Yeah, we've, well, we've done five. Um, oh. No, 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 four. I just have my next yeah, one written four. We've done four. So, yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do the back half and finish up our snake draft. We'll be right back. All right. See you. Welcome back to the Christopher Nolan snake draft. Do a little recap. We finished the front half. So, we've got eight movies we're picking from. Dunkirk, Interstellar, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight, Batman Begins, The Prestige, and Memento. So far, I started with the first pick. I took Inception, and then picks two and three. Mason took Dark Knight and Interstellar, respectively. And then for the fourth pick, I took The Prestige uh, with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. So now I have the fifth pick. Is there anything else you wanted to say about The Prestige? Are you ready for my fifth pick? I'm ready for five. So you said you were worried that I was about to take your movie Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I'm going to because my fifth pick is Dunkirk. Uh, yeah, definitely not. Okay, good. Um, so I, I'm a, I, Dunkirk is kind of a selfish pick for me. I realize that it's it's not one of it, it's the most recent of Nolan's films if you don't count Tenet, which obviously comes out next week when we're recording this. However, when this episode is aired, it comes out literally the next day. Um, I, I love war movies. Um, I, I, I guess when I found out that Dunkirk was coming out and I saw the trailer for it, I was a little shocked that this is the first. I was like, oh, wow, Christopher Nolan's doing a war film. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. But then I was worried, you know, not worried, but, you know, I, I didn't want to take I didn't want it to take some sci fi route, you know, and it's like, you know, we were actually, you know, fighting the Axis powers because some aliens messed with us. <laughs> Flux capacitor or whatever. I, I didn't want it to take some kind of weird left turn. Um, but the the plot Dunkirk is, is, is I'm going to read a little synopsis. It says, in 1940, which is obviously in the throes of World War II, during the Battle of France, Allied soldiers have retreated to Dunkirk. And Tommy, a young British pirate, is the sole survivor of a German ambush. At the beach, he finds thousands of troops awaiting evacuation and meets Gibson, who is bearing a body. Um so it's about these young British troops. Um, one of them is played by formerly One Direction's um, Harry Styles. I think this was his act, acting debut. And he's great too. He's great. He's really, really good. Um, but it's it's just this a film about all these young these young British boys that were had survived a German ambush and they're waiting. And this is based upon a true story again from from World War Two. Um, they're trying to get off this beachhead to get back home, um, but they're kind of trapped and the allied ships can't get to them to, to, to evacuate them. And so like a bunch of like fishermen and um, just people of Dunkirk ride out in their just kind of civilian boats, ships, paddle boats, all these kinds of things to get the sh- soldiers away. Um, the thing about this movie that I like is uh it is kind of slow in the sense that, you know, when you picture a war movie, I think I, you immediately think Saving Private Ryan. Uh, so you think of the scenes where they're rushing onto Omaha Beach and they're getting gunned down. This is there's a lot of action in this movie. 
Um, but it is really just this buildup and this anxiety of are these soldiers going to get home? Um, which a lot of movies do kind of in, bur- in spurts, but this is, is more of a drawn out movie. You see kind of the pain and the worry on these young soldiers' faces. Um, but also the acting performances are really, really great. It's got, as I mentioned before, Harry Styles, who does really good in his, his actorial debut. Um, it's also got a guy that I love a lot. He's a big Harry Potter fan. He plays Gilderoy Lockhart, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is like a really good actor. Um, I, I'm a big fan of him. He plays Commander Bolton, who's kind of the leader, uh, the military leader there. It's also, again, being a Christopher Nolan film, it's got Killian Murphy. It's either going to have Killian Murphy or it's going to have Mike, Michael Caine or it's going to have them both. Um, it's got Killian Murphy. It's also got Tom Hardy. Again, uh, he likes to use the same people, which is totally fine. I'm, I'm totally down with that. They, the guys he picks are, are really good actors. But it's also got another actor I really love in Mark Rylance, um, who has, he won an actor a few years ago for Bridge of Spies. He's also been in the Disney film, The BFG, but he's also in this film. He, he plays kind of the main, I guess, civilian uh, you see that comes to kind of rescue some of the soldiers. Um, but all the performances are really great. You mentioned earlier about Nolan kind of perfecting the loud, kind of over-the-top, sound mixing type things for for these films and then kind of silence this is there's a lot of that there's a lot of a lot of prolonged silence which i think really helps build tension um but overall i just think this is a good war film and i like this film a lot and i just personally selfishly prefer it over the ones that are left which is why i picked it yeah so I think many would actually think Dunkirk would go before we've chosen it here at five. Um, I will say I'm not the biggest Dunkirk fan. I, I think that it's an achievement. I think it's extremely ambitious. It's ambitious. It's definitely his most artsy film. I, he does a lot of bold things with the fact that there's little to no character development whatsoever. It, it's more about the spectacle. It's more about the actual battle here um, than it is, you know, each individual character. I, I don't really remember names of any characters in the movie. Everybody, you remember the face, but there aren't any, like, I don't know, I guess, like, individual hero main characters that we're following. Um, this is, fun fact, Quentin Tarantino's favorite movie from the 2010s. Did you know this? I saw that article, yeah. Yeah, so I listened to a, a podcast of him, like, fawning about it, which blew my mind. It made me second-guess me not liking it. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to have to go back at some point and rewatch, but I'm, I'm a little relieved that you took it here at five. So you can take Memento next. Uh, no. So this, wow. may, this may surprise you. I'm, I'm big on Batman Begins. Okay, good. Yeah. 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 So Batman Begins will be my sixth pick. Uh, I like Batman Begins more than Dark Knight Rises, obviously, because I took it over it. But I, I think a lot of people think that that's controversial. Um, I, I don't at all. I, I think that I, I I don't I don't think it's controversial at all. Okay, good. So Killian Murphy is as Scarecrow is probably the second best villain ever behind the Joker in Dark Knight. He is. I, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay, he is awesome and chilling and. He does. I love villains that are not physically imposing. Like Killian Murphy is not a, not just like this brute of a man. 
or anything. He's just very maniacal and crazy and um, obviously fear-mongering because that's what Scarecrow does. But uh, this movie is awesome. I watched it with my mom. It scared my mom to death. It's It was probably, at that time, the darkest movie I've ever seen. Um, and I, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, of course, it introduced us to... Uh, Christian Bale is Batman who would then be around for the next, you know, several years in our lives. So I love Batman begins. I think another thing that, that no one does in Batman begins that sets the tone for this trilogy is focus on character. So Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone, this movie critic that, um, that, that I like a great deal. He said this about Batman begins. The buildup in this film is steadily engrossing. That's because no one keeps the emphasis on character, not gadgets. And I think that that's such a good little blurb on this movie because in this trilogy for for the um, for the matter, because most Batman and superhero movies in general only really focus on the superhero and that's it. This movie, Commissioner Gordon, Rachel, Harvey Dent and the Dark Knight, all of these people are, are very lived in and, and have skin and bones to them and, and meat, of course, too. And uh, I, I just absolutely love that. A, a superhero movie that I think this movie, you could make a movie about a completely different setting that's not the superhero world and it would still be great if it felt like Batman Begins. This just feels like a good movie. It's not great because we see Batarangs. It's great because it's just outstanding storytelling. So, um, anyways, Batman Begins, my third film chosen. That's a good pick. I like that one. Yep. I, I, if it was still in the, I was close to picking that before Dunkirk, but I went with Dunkirk instead. That surprised me. I, we we haven't stand together about this movie, yeah. Yeah, I I like I like Batman Begins um, more than Dark Knight Rises. Um, and what's what's tough with some of these is like, whatever is the eighth pick is still like better than ninety percent of cinema in the last twenty years, right? Um, <laughs> but it just seems that we don't like the movies. Um, but it's just a matter like the eighth pick in the NFL draft is, is still uh, uh, getting, you know, nine figures a year. Um, but I, I, I just like Dunkirk a little better than it. Yeah. And I feel a little odd having two Batman movies in my four. I don't like that. It makes me a little uncomfortable. That's fun. Uh, but I, I love Batman Begins. You're going to round out the set and just get all three of them? so i thought about it um but i I like this movie more that i'm going to choose i also love the fact that since you have the last pick you just get stuck with whatever the last movie is but see the thing is is like i i like that movie anyway so yeah yeah it's just fine to me that you're not picking it i have nice things to say about it anyway okay so yeah memento is going to be my my final movie here uh, I think what Memento adds to my portfolio here. So I have uh, Dark Knight, his best film, in my opinion. I know, I know, you would say Inception. I have. Uh, I I would say Inception, but like I'm not mad at you for saying that it's Dark Knight. Sure. At all. 
I have definitely his best acting performance in a movie with Dark Knight as well with Heath Ledger. And then I uh, yeah. I have Interstellar, which is I think a lot of people love Interstellar. Like I have the popular appeal with Interstellar. And then um, there's a big. Did you know? Like there's a big online debate of between Inception and Interstellar. Like which is the better film? Really, I I've I, seen it. It's I've Inception seen it a lot easy to me, but yeah, it I, is to me too. But there's a lot of people that just prefer Interstellar over Inception. Yeah, and that that may come down to a line of I prefer Matthew McConaughey over Leonardo DiCaprio. Sure. Uh, with with Batman Begins, I. I haven't gotten Killian Murphy in a movie yet, so I just I had to get Killian in here. Uh, also, I like that Batman Begins is one of Nolan's earlier movies, so it has a little more grit. Nolan's still desperate out here trying to make it as a film director. And then my fourth and final pick. So Batman Begins it is gritty. However, it has a $150 million budget. So, like... You know, was it really that hard? They had plenty of money to spend on grit. Right, right. Lots of money for grit there. Uh, My final pick is Memento. And Memento adds hipster art house film that makes sense but kind of doesn't and yet is a fun ride that you're going to talk about for 30 minutes at least after the movie with whoever you watched it with. Uh, No, at least from my memory, no real big name actors in this one, right? It's got Guy. Oh, Guy Pierce. That's right. Guy Pierce. Yeah. So I'm I'm very wrong. Uh, Guy Pierce is in this, and I'm looking on the IMDb right now. I don't see any other actors. I mean, Mark Boone is in this, but he's a he's very much like a C minus list actor. Uh, he was in the Mandalorian. Let's calm down. (laughs) And Dark Knight. Um, But so, anyways, with Memento, we get a low budget high concept movie that that really sticks with you and i want that to to diversify my portfolio here and again uh no one's big break so there's some historical significance as well i like memento i don't love memento i think it's firmly out of um firmly out of like the top two tiers that i was mentioning earlier uh but there are some people out there i mean again mostly hipsters that would say it's his best movie how do you feel about memento um, I, I earlier you talked about the line of things being fake intelligent. Um, I think this is just over that ledge of like, like being too difficult to comprehend and enjoy like multiple times. Like the, the people that like love to go back and watch Memento, like need to have somebody watching them um, because like, it's just one of the, it's like the way that you and I feel about Midsummer. Sure. Like, yeah. Like not in the same type of way, but like Memento is a movie that you watch a couple times so you can completely understand the plot and you're like, oh, okay, got it. I missed that last time. But like if you're having a quarterly watch night with your buddies and it's like, hey, let's put on Memento again, like I'm going to need to keep the sharp objects away from you. Cause like <laughs> I, I like the, I I do like the movie. It's interesting. Again, I, I I don't dislike the movie. It is just one of those that's like, it just makes your head kind of hurt a little bit. Um, it is very gritty. It's early Christopher Nolan. It's still very good. Guy Pierce is good. I 
I don't love a lot of the characters that I've seen Guy Pierce play. I don't like at all. For instance, he's in the movie Lawless with Tom Hardy and Shia LaBeouf. That's a good he movie. Plays, he plays like a really awful. I don't even know. He plays like the enforcer from a gang in Chicago that's been sent into like the hills of West Virginia to track down Shia LaBeouf and Tom Hardy. And he's got like this slicked back middle part. He looks like Pee Wee Herman. Um, <laughs> but he, he's just like his character. He plays his character. Well, he's a good actor, but his character's so annoying. Yeah. He's also, he's also in the King's speech where he plays uh, King George's brother, uh, uh, Colin Firth's brother. And he's, he's a bit of a, you know, a jerk in that film as well. And then he's in Iron Man 3, and he's the bad guy. So, like, um, Guy Pierce is a very talented actor. This is probably, this is certainly the, the film that he's in where I liked his performance the most. It is just a lot for me. Um, there's movies that just make me tired more than they intrigue me, and this is just one of those. So, Guy Pierce looks like a punchable Ben Affleck. Like, he, he's like Ben Affleck, but a lot less handsome, somehow. Um, but... Anyways, I, I just looked it up. So Memento, the budget for this movie was $9 million. So this was obviously pre-Nolan being a household name in, in terms of directing. So, um, yeah, Memento. And I would say, because th- this is probably the least seen of the movies we're talking about right now. If you've seen all these for other sure. films and, and you're interested, seriously go check it out. Because it, it is a good time. It does make your head hurt a little bit. Uh, but just wait till you're in that mood and you have some energy and, and want to go through it. You should watch it. I will say a litmus test, though. Like, if you don't like Inception, you won't like Memento. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a good call. Um, so if you're like, I don't like Inception because it makes my head hurt, definitely don't watch Memento. I'll tell you something that's kind of similar. It's like a whodunit, and you try to figure it out uh, a little bit. Instead of watching Memento, go watch The Usual Suspects. Just watch that instead. I lo- Okay, yeah. Usual Suspects is better, but Usual Suspects, <laughs> they're before, both good. Before Kevin Spacey was groping up 17-year-old boys at pool halls, he made Usual Suspects. Um, it's a great movie. <laughs> um, what a, what an intro to a sentence. Yeah. What just, a prepositional phrase. That's I mean, that's what happened. He, he was doing that. Um, it's, in, it's in court affidavits and everything. Anyway, so that leaves me with the eighth pick, my fourth movie to round out my roster, which just is going to have to be Dark Knight Rises. Um, I'm fine with that movie. Um, I it, It's my least favorite of the trilogy, but again, there's only three to choose from. One of them is a world-class superhero film. The other is a gritty is a gritty film that changed the genre of superhero movies into a and moved it in a better direction. Um, and then there's this one, um, and it, it rounded out the trilogy. I think maybe it tried to tackle a little bit too much. It, it did kind of go Spider-Man three in a sense that it had a little bit too many villains. Like there's, it's like, what am I supposed to keep up with? Is it Bane? Is it Catwoman? Is it, you know, uh, we had a little Raz Spider- al Ghul's daughter. Raz, yeah. Raz al Ghul. Yeah. Um, it did that a little bit. Um, but I, I think it's, it's a really good movie. Tom Hardy. If nothing else, it's provided me with a lot of firepower over the last few years that I've been able to do a really good Bane impression with simply the assistance of an empty Pringles can. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, we'll once we have like a Patreon page and we have enough people, we'll get a we'll get a tier of Patreon where you can subscribe 
at a certain level and I'll just, I'll get you a po- a personal voice message recording for your phone with just me as Bane into an empty Pringles can. Um, that sounds, that sounds so similar to like an OnlyFans for nerds. I mean, I, I mean, I might have to invest in OnlyFans. People are making lots of money on that thing. Yeah. Anyways. You, you got it. You see that? Do you see that Bella Thorne made one million dollars on OnlyFans in twenty hours? Wait, I don't. Who's Bella Thorne? She's an actress. I think she was on some like she. She's like gone the Miley Cyrus route, where I think she was on like a Nickelodeon show, and then all of a sudden her her nude cliff, and now she has an OnlyFans where she's made a million dollars. Um, that's insane. But I mean, if that's that is the story of ninety percent of our childhoods, then like, who are we to judge? Um, anyway, back to the Dark Knight Rises. This movie is huge in its scope. Um, Tom Hardy once again does a great job of giving yet another performance with some kind of apparatus on his face. Um, unfortunately, there's just so many movies where I, I, I still think that Tom Hardy has like a very high pitched Canadian accent. Um, but he has so many movies where he has to do some kind of gruff thing with some kind of, with some kind of mask on his face. I, you know, I, I have no idea what he really sounds like, but I think he's, he does a great job as Bane. Uh, the only thing is, and again, you can't make superhero films look exactly like the comic books, but like Bane is supposed to be like nine foot eight. And Tom, Tom Hardy's like five foot 11, five foot 10. Uh, Christian Bale's taller than him, and he's supposed to tower over uh, Batman. I think Tom Hardy does a good job of being menacing, um, but I think, you know, this is... Nolan made a choice not to choose necessarily actors who were... who fit necessarily a role, but picked actors who were good at doing anything and put them into the... Like, Heath Ledger, you don't you didn't look at Heath Ledger before and say he's the Joker, he should play the Joker. Sure. People are doing that sure. to Joaquin Phoenix because he's crazier than a, you know, <laughs> bag of cats, right? People have been saying about, about Joaquin Phoenix for years. You know, if people are saying like, oh, that guy's built to play the Joker, like he's been in and out of rehab facilities in Malibu for at least the last eight years. <laughs> Um, I feel like you're throwing nothing but fastballs like the last 15 minutes. Bro, I'm spitting, man. I've been sitting on my couch working my butt off. I'm, I've been having, I've been having stuff brewing around uh, in my head, just clanging against the empty walls of my cerebellum for days. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, again, I think he takes actors because it's like you know, Mason. If I were to tell you like, hey, I'm gonna make a Superman movie, and in Superman, I'm gonna have Sir Anthony Hopkins. And uh, Lois Lane is going to be the guy that played Hagrid in Harry Potter. <laughs> You'd be like, wow, that's a little odd. But then it turns out like working perfectly. Like that's kind of what Nolan did in a way with, with these guys. Like Christian Bale is a great character, is a great actor, great character actor commits to his roles. And he played a perfect Batman. You got Heath Ledger, same kind type of thing. He played a perfect Joker. So Tom Hardy was not necessarily the best pick for Bane. He had to get huge, um, but he was still, you know, not the required like eight feet or whatever it was that Bane was, but um, they blew up Heinz Field in Pittsburgh for some reason for this film. Uh, they actually had Heinz Ward in the movie. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I knew that. Heinz Ward it... scores a touchdown and then Heinz Field caves in. Uh, so that's 
you know, the most action Heinz Ward's seen on the field in at least 10 years was in Dark Knight Rises. Um, but I, there's not things that I, I mean, I, I'm, you might have a couple, there's not things I really dislike about this movie. I think it's just the fact that it's like, you know how like you have George H.W. Bush and like he was a good president and you have George W. Bush and he was a good president and then there's like Jeb. Right. You know, yeah, this is this is the Jeb Bush is, of the Dark Knight Je- trilogy. Jeb's a nice guy. I would love I, I want Jeb to be like my cool uncle that takes me out to Outback Steakhouse, not the president of the country. You want Jeb to be your your insurance agent, but you don't yeah, you don't want him as president. Yeah, I'm I'm down with going to, you know, I'm down with going to Chili's with Jeb Bush, but I don't need him as my commander in chief. And that's just kind of the way I feel about Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's where I'm at as well. I, I think this movie is also the most fraught with part, plot holes of all of his movies. Yeah. I'm I'm only going to point out three in in terms of escalating, uh, not believability. So the first one and the most believable but still unbelievable is that that Batman flies a nuke with a quote six mile blast radius drops it in the water and somehow drives six miles away from it before it explodes. Um, Definitely would have killed him. Second, Bane breaks Batman's back and to get it healed in prison, an old dude kicks him in the back (laughs) and it apparently correctly aligns his spine. Um, Didn't really get that. The third and most unbelievable things that happens in this movie is Heinz Ward returns a kick. He was a wide receiver. He didn't return kicks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, good movie, not great movie. Like we said, I mean, it's still better than most movies out there. But I, I think it got way overhyped way quickly yeah. with uh, just the way people reacted well, to it. And- but I, I am shocked it, it is our last movie here. Well, I mean, that that's kind of stunning. I think that's going to be surprising to, to people. Listening. I just think you, like I said, with my illustration with the Bush family, um, you know, you just, you go from Batman Begins, which is such a gritty genre changing film to Dark Knight, which is one of the greatest superhero films of all time. And one of the greatest performances by an actor of all time. And, you know, you expect maybe foolishly and naively that this is going to somehow top that. And it's not that it flopped. It just, it didn't top those two, which is fine because it's still a good movie, you know. Um, you know, it, it's it, it just had all the cards kind of stacked against it. Um, but I think it was a good way to kind of wrap up the Dark Knight trilogy, and the Dark Knight Rises is therefore a good way to wrap up our snake draft. So here are the rosters we have from Christopher Nolan films. I picked first. I took Inception. With the fourth pick, I took the Prestige. The fifth pick, I took Dunkirk. And with our final pick, I got stuck with Dark Knight Rises. Mason, with the second pick, took Dark Knight. With the third pick, took Interstellar. With the sixth pick, took Batman Begins. And the seventh pick, took Memento. So that's our, that's our rosters. Mason has Dark Knight, Interstellar, Batman Begins, and Memento. I have Inception, The Prestige, Dunkirk, and Dark Knight Rises. I'm going to post this when the episode releases. I'm going to put a little poll up on Instagram for those of you that follow us over there. Let us know who has the best roster. I think we both have good rosters. I'm happy with mine. 
I'll, I'll still entertain. I'll, I'll still entertain a trade to give you Dark Knight Rises for Interstellar, just so you can have some cohesion and have the trilogy. <laughs> um, you can have the trilogy in Memento, and I'll take the good films. Um, and then, but I'll, I'll post a little poll. We'll see what people think. Uh, if you're friends of ours, thanks for listening again. Just text us, talk about it. We'd love to talk movies with more than just ourselves. Um, we're also we have some ideas brewing about. You know, we're going to be doing some movie reviews and things like that, but we don't want this to be a movie review podcast, but we're going to do some of that. So I think we're going to talk about Tenet here in a couple of weeks when we have both have a chance to see it once, maybe twice. Um, and then we're going to go from there. We're going to have guests on, hopefully, eventually. Uh, maybe uh, I've got to make sure, and I mentioned Evan Van Helsing, Country Ham Coons, Reese in every episode. So there's that check mark box filled in. <laughs> um but yeah, I don't have anything else to say uh, other than just if you found us on Spotify, make sure you give us a subscription there so you get our episodes in your little box every time it's released. Also do the same over on iTunes, the little purple icon on your phone if you have an iPhone. Um, or you can find us on Google Podcasts now if you have an Android and are still living in the 1990s. Um, you can find us on Google Podcasts there. All you got to do is search us under Sunday Matinee. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under matinee underscore pod. Uh, we're more on Instagram than we are on Twitter, but, you know, once we start building our cult of followers, maybe we'll get over to Twitter because that's where all the weird people hang out. Um, Mason, do you have anything to say further in this episode before we shut it down for the evening? Give us a five-star review and Jordan will leave you a, a Bane impersonation OnlyFans uh, straight to your inbox. <clears throat> yeah. I'll, I'll, my only fans are just going to be me doing a Bane impersonation into a Pringles can in a banana hammock. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, until next time, I think we closed it on that. Let's go. Until next time, I've been Monkey Armstrong, and this is my co host. Uh, what did I say? Uh, wait, wait, no, no, no. no. Monkey, uh, Monkey, it's Beagle Armstrong, Armstrong Monkey Monkey Jordan. Jordan. (laughs) Signing off till next time. This has been Sunday matinee. Mason, I'll talk to you later, buddy. Make it a good one. Yep. See you guys.